welcome back to our continued teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, the last time we were here, we were in the first part of chapter two in dealing with Paul's point of salvation. That is how that salvation is in accordance with the grace, the goodness and the kindness of God to a people who did not deserve the kindness of God. On the other hand, that is to a people who deserved the judgment and the wrath of God. And Paul's primary point that he was making was that this salvation that God had given to a particular people, we learned that from chapter one, namely to you Gentiles, was completely and totally undeserved. You did nothing whereby you might merit the favor of God to get this salvation. As a matter of fact, you lived in uh, sinfulness and were by nature, what did he say? The children of wrath. So therefore, instead of receiving God's mercy and his goodness as is reflected in salvation, you should have received God's judgment. But no, God did not give you this. He gave you his salvation. That's why we ended, ended our last study saying, this reason what? For by grace, the unmerited favor of God, you have been saved. And this is through the purpose and the plan of God, through faith. And this is a gift of God, not of works, taking away any boasting. So his whole point was this glorious and efficacious salvation that we all have, and here he's pointing out here, in particular, chapter two, verses one through eight, you Gentiles have this wonderful salvation all due to the goodness and the kindness of God and nothing due of yourselves. Okay, so with that, let's see if we can finish chapter two in a single video. We should be able to finish it without any particular problems, but let's go ahead on and bring this chapter to a close as Paul continues to talk about how this great salvation that God has brought about, he has also brought about a new creation. Okay. And that's what he's going to talk about how God brought about the new creation. That new creation would be Jew and Gentile in one body that is even in Christ Jesus without the enmity of the law, Jew and Gentile as a new creature in one body to be the temple of God. And that's the point that he's going to make. All right. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So now notice, okay, if you recall from the last video, one of the points that I made at the very end of the video is I can almost sense the hostility that some people would, uh, would have when I talk about, when I talked about the irrevocable, the, <laughs> the irrevocableness that is how God is not an Indian giver that this salvation that we have is not due to anything that we do. You don't live right to be saved. You don't stop sinning to be saved. It is a gift of God. And 
This salvation can never be taken away from the believer. So one of the things that I had anticipated was the sense that uh, some would probably begin to say, so therefore what? We can now just live any kind of way that we want to and kind of like taunting what I was teaching in accordance to that uh, uh, point of scripture. And here we have in verse number 10, the very point that deals with it. We are not saved so that we can continue to live in our sins. We are saved, or as Paul says in verse number 10, we have been created as a new creation so that we would no longer live in our sins, so that we would live in accordance to God's righteousness. What does he say? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God did not save us so that we could continue in our sins and just know that we are still saved and nothing can take away our salvation. No, God saved us for the very purpose that we would change, that we would live changed and renewed lives. And notice it, and this was God's mindset before the foundation of the world. God prepared beforehand. Notice that language again of predetermination, pre-purpose, predestination, that which we talked about in all in chapters one. Okay, chapters one and even in the earlier parts of chapter two. But how God had purposed all of these things even before our creation within itself that those whom God had predestined unto salvation, he purposed that they should live righteous lives, no longer living in the sinfulness and indulging the nature of their flesh. It, enough with all of the sin at the former sin life. That's the idea. So what am I trying to say? Let me just move through this because I'm making it too long. It is just simple. We are, we are not saved because of what we do. However, once God saves us, what we do is extremely important. That is, our righteous lives begin at that time. Okay, but let's continue on. Therefore, what? Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now let's stop there. So now here is when we talked about those pronoun usages being very important. Notice he begins to give a reason for the praise of Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish believers, because there is a clear distinction that Paul is making when he talks about you who were afar off, that is, you Gentiles, and the distinction of the we, and we'll talk about all of that as we work through the scriptures. So let's just do that. So what does he say? 
Now we begin this new section, section of praise. Therefore, remember. So in the sense of remembering, Paul wants them, even we can say us who are Gentiles, to call that there was a time when we were not saved, when all of these wonderful benefits of God in salvation, we did not have simply because we were at one time, if you go back, 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 we were at one time idolaters. Now, that can sometimes be difficult for us to comprehend, especially in the sense, let's say for say, Americans. Now we know there's so much political crap and so much divestiture that people are trying to accomplish. In other words, trying to say that America was not a Christian nation and people trying to, in this country today, divorce themselves from any Christian background or, or any Christian heritage. But aside from all of this politicism that we have today, America has a strong Christian foundation. And so, and, and, and so it's difficult for us to kind of comprehend Paul's statement. But if we were the Ephesians to whom Paul was writing, and we can see that in Acts chapters 19 and chapter 20, and if we know anything about Ephesus in the day of Paul, they were a, greatly, a, a great city of idolatry. And we can even see they were the basic worshipers of Artemis or uh, the Latin name, I believe, would be Diana. And these, this was this idol, uh, an idol god of the Ephesians. And so the, the Ephesians, the Gentiles as a whole, were idol worshipers. And so when, what Paul is trying to say is, there was a time when you Gentiles were predominantly, basically, idolaters. You had no God, no true God in this world. You worshiped idol gods to the witch. And the whole idea of idols is vanity, something that was absolutely worthless. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we can have a difficulty in understanding uh, because we as Gentiles today, especially in Western countries with strong Christian backgrounds as far as national, national um, perspective is concerned, it doesn't resonate with us that much. But in Paul's time and in Paul's writing, it truly resonated with them because they could understand the difference, the contrast. There was a time when we had not heard of Christ Jesus and therefore what? Our end would be destruction because of idolatry. But now we have heard of Christ Jesus and all of this wonderful salvation that God has brought about and that we have received, not because of anything that we have done. Oh my God, we are so thankful. Okay, I took that way beyond what I was intended to, but I really wanted you to get a feel of what Paul was trying to do as well for us to go back. And I know we can always historically go back in our mind, but make the attempt to go back that at one time from the ancestral point of view, we too were without Christ. We too were on a road to damnation serving idols, but what God brought Christ 
Christ was preached somewhere down the road to our ancestors and even we ourselves were introduced to Christ on a personal basis. But going on, what? You Gentiles in the flesh, and there's a sense of negativity that, that in other words, there's a sense of disdainment that the Jews once had towards the Gentiles. And we already know about the historical negativity that Jews had towards the Gentiles, that the Jews had formerly called Gentiles dogs because of their being unclean, because of their absence of the law of Moses, but we're not going to get into that. Now we are working into that in the rest of this text. But the point is the Jew were, uh, uh, are called, we're called the circumcision and notice Paul calls them circumcision made with hands. So there's a sense of negativity as the Jews who in some way or another looked down upon the Gentiles because the Gentiles were ignorant of the true God and the Gentiles were absent of the law of Moses, the law of righteousness. And so this set up within the Gentile, I'm sorry, the Jews, a false sense of pride to the which the Jew themselves, and we see Paul talk about this even at length in Romans chapter two, as he talks about the comparison between the Gentiles who have not the law and the Jew who has the law, but the Jew who had the law did not keep the law. And so this is that sense of negativity that Paul is speaking of here when he says circumcision made with hands. So he, he's kind of looking down on, in this sense. So Paul is simply saying this, there was a time when the Jews circumcised looked down upon you Gentiles uncircumcised because you did not possess the covenants, the law of Moses and the true God. So that's what he's trying to say. And so what is he saying? That, that point that I was just making in verse number 12, you were at that time separate from Christ. At what time? Before the preaching of the gospel came to you Gentiles, to you Ephesians. You were what? Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenant. No hope without God. No hope in the world. In other words, you Gentiles worshiping and serving idols you had no hope whatsoever and you as Gentiles being excluded from any of the promises that God had given the Jewish people. And these promises God had given to the Jewish people, he made it through uh, both faith as well as also certain promises through the law. Now, I don't want to dissect that because I almost got in trouble in saying that in a generic way. But the point he's trying to make is the commonwealth, that is, all of the blessings that God had determined to give unto the Jewish people, the Gentiles were aliens of these promises. They were alienated from these promises. They did not have any hope of these promises at all, especially as it pertains to the law of Moses. Now we'll talk about that even later. And I'm hoping that I'm not confusing you, but to say it in a simplistic way, 
the Jews because God had revealed himself to the Jewish people. And we see that in the Bible all the way from Genesis chapter 12 up until now, that is now uh, in the book of Acts in the time of Paul, uh, as he's speaking in the book of Ephesians. From that time, God had dealt exclusively with the Jewish people and God had covenanted the Jewish people to himself, revealed his law and revealed also his covenant of blessings to the Jewish people. Those who knew the true God, Yahweh, but as far as the Gentiles, all these other people in the world who were worshiping idols, they had none of these covenant promises. Therefore, they will receive none of these covenant blessings. And so what is Paul doing? Paul is saying to these Ephesians, remember at one time, this was you and you were separate, separated from all of these blessings and promises that the Jewish people received by covenant nature being covenanted with God. Okay. And so he said, simply remember that. And you had no hope, but now verse number 13, I don't know if I read that, but if I did, let's just go again in Christ, Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So now he is saying at one time you Gentiles, as Gentiles were not a part of the covenant blessings that, that the Jews themselves had had. But now through what Jesus has done, and he's going to talk about that more explicitly as he moves through the text, but through Christ Jesus, you who were, who once were what far off have now been brought near that is you now share in all of the covenant blessings that were once given to the Jews alone. Why? Through the preaching of Christ, you now have been introduced to the true God and through the operation of Jesus. And we'll talk about that operation even more explicitly as we move through the text. But through what Jesus has done, Jesus has now made the covenant blessings that the Jews once had solely the Jews once had. You now are able to share you Gentiles along with the Jews, these same covenant blessings. Okay. And notice he says by the blood of Christ, that is by the shed blood, the death of Jesus on the cross. So therefore it is the death of Jesus on the cross that allowed the Gentiles to benefit from the commonwealth, the goodness, the blessings that was once shared only by once uh, enjoyed only by the Jewish people. And that's his point. So now let's continue as he begins, as Paul will explore and expand how the Gentiles were able to experience these blessings through what Jesus has done on the cross, the same blessings that the Jews had. And that's what basically the remainder of this is all about. For what he himself is our peace who made both groups into one 
and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body uh, to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Okay, so that's a thick statement. Seems difficult, but it is not difficult at all. So what does he say? For he himself is our peace. That is, notice the pronoun. Remember I told you, you have to watch how Paul switches back and, back and forth with the pronouns. The you, you Gentiles, the we, the we Jews, and now what? The our, both Jew and Gentile. Jesus is peace between Jews and Gentiles. You see it now? He is our peace who made both groups. What groups? The Jew and the Gentile. He made the Jew and the Gentile into one, one body. And here he is referencing the church for the church consists of Jew and Gentile into one body. That is the body of Christ without any separation, any division, there is a oneness. And as the Jew uh, celebrates and enjoys the blessings of God, so also does the Gentile celebrate and enjoy those blessings. Okay. And what did he do? He broke down that barrier and dividing wall. So here's what we need to understand. We need to know, well, what is this barrier and dividing wall? He tells us what that is in verse number 15, this wall that created an enmity, ektron, an enmity between the Jew and the Gentile. And that wall that divided Jews and Gentiles was the law of commandments contained in ordinances, or in other words, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. So what is he saying? Jesus abolished the law of Moses, and therefore the law as we know it has come to an end. We'll talk about that as we move through the text, but it was the law the law of Moses, the Jew in keeping, being the ones being given the law of Moses, keeping the law of Moses, the Gentiles having not the law of Moses. Therefore, of course, you don't keep what you don't have. This became a barrier, a wall of division, also creating enmity, enmity between Jew and Gentile one seeing themselves as a set apart holy people by the keeping of these laws and the other being seen as unholy dogs that enmity that Paul has been talking about. Uh, you were considered to be uncircumcised by the what so-called circumcision made with hands that enmity. But why? Because of the law of Moses, they were keepers of the law. But what happened? Jesus brought the law 
to an end. And you can kind of consider it in the law, the old Testament, all of those 613 commandments of Moses spoken from Exodus to Deuteronomy, all of those laws are now brought to an end. All of them, the keeping of the Sabbath, uh, the, 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 the festive days of the Jews, the wearing of the clothing, the eating of certain kinds of foods, all of the law is brought to an end by the working of Jesus. But let's continue. But his point is Jesus abolished this enmity. So for the purpose, notice, so that, that is a purposeful clause in himself, in Christ Jesus, he will make of both the Jew and the Gentile, the two into not two separate groups, but now one new man. And this new man is a new creation. This is the church. This is that mystery kingdom that Jesus talked about in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of God, this new kingdom, which consists of Jew and Gentile into one body. So what is he trying to say? And let me finish verse number 16 so I can make you understand this really clear. And that he might reconcile Jesus, reconcile them both in one body, that is bringing them both together as one to God, that is in a relationship to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. So what did Jesus do? It was by Jesus's, now notice what I'm saying, and absorb this totally in your mind. When Jesus died on the cross, the law of Moses came to an end. And we see Paul repeating the very same thing in the book of Colossians, how that the law of Moses was nailed to Jesus cross. So that what? As Jesus died, it also died. And we also see Paul speaking of this same sense of it uh, in, in parabolic sense of a marriage in Romans chapter seven, the law being the first husband, but the first husband died, the law dying, how? On the cross of Jesus. Now God's people are free to be married to another husband that is married to cross, to Christ and now coming under the administration of that husband, Christ, the law of Christ. But the point is all of the law, all of the law of Moses is now abolished and it was abolished at the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this was God's plan to bring the law all of the law to an end at the death of his son. And so therefore with the death of Jesus, he now brings both the Jew and the Gentile together without the enmity of the law. Why? Cause the law is gone. The barrier is gone. The wall of separation that separated the Jew from the Gentile is now gone. Touch not, handle not, taste not what you can't eat, what you can't wear, what days you for all of this has been done away. And now 
both groups are brought in as one new man in one new law. That is the law of Christ himself. But anyway, we'll talk about that as we bring this to a close. So what is he saying? The point is Gentiles as Gentiles were separated from the Jew because of the law of Moses. So therefore Gentiles could not enjoy any of the blessings in order for a Gentile to enjoy any of the blessings that the Jews enjoyed. The Gentiles would have had to convert to Judaism. That is at one time, at one time in the past, but what when Christ came, and when he died, he took all of that away. So now the Gentile as a Gentile, that is without having to convert to Judaism, without keeping the law of Moses, but why the law of Moses was abolished on the, at the cross of Jesus. So the Gentile as an uncircumcised Gentile, along with the Jew, can now enjoy the full blessings that the Jews alone once enjoyed. So therefore what consider, he said, you Gentile, remember that's how it was, but no longer is it now because of Christ Jesus. So what's the inference of Paul rejoice man. Thank God for that, that now you are a part of God's family and now you can enjoy the blessings that were once you as a Gentile, you could not have enjoyed unless you converted to Judaism. Okay. Let's bring it together. It's longer than I'm anticipated. So what he he says now, verse number 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now let's stop right there because it's good. It's going to be some stuff I want to talk about, uh, with them at length, so to speak. But so all he's saying, he begins to quote, Oh, it is Isaiah. It looks like Isaiah 57 here. And, and, and it is so, uh, uh, is such a notable thing for him to quote Isaiah because in that, uh, part of Isaiah, he's talking about the idolatry of Israel and notice how that kind of works along with the sense of what the idolatry of the Gentiles or the former idolatry of these Ephesian Gentiles. What, how, if you worship and serve the true God, you have Isaiah 57, you are blessed. And notice how did these Gentiles, Ephesian, receive the blessings of God when the gospel of Jesus was preached to them, when they had faith in Jesus Christ. And all of this was done, why? By God's will, by God's activity in sending the gospel to these Gentiles. And so therefore, as Jesus is preached, 
to those who were what? Afar off, that is the Gentiles. And that's the whole point of what Paul has been saying. You who once were what? Afar off, you have been brought near. In the sense of being near is being brought into the family of God so that you too may inherit the blessings, the same blessings that these Jews have had. So what you are now, uh, no longer strangers, you Gentiles, you Gentiles are now what? Fellow citizens, that is, citizens along with the Jews, with the saints. And the reference of the saints is these Jewish believers. You are now fellowship with Jewish believers, and you are now a part of what? God's household. So you too have been brought in to the family of God alongside of the Jews to enjoy the same blessings of the Jews as one people and one household. And how has all of these things come about? Through what Jesus did for you on that cross. So you can see him saying what? Rejoice and give God thanks. But now let's bring this to a close. So now as he begins to talk about this household of God, this one people of God, or we simply call it today, the church. Now I know oftentimes when people think about the church, they think about the building, they think about people, but actually the church is Jew and Gentile into one body in Christ Jesus by what Jesus has done under a new law, not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ. So he's going to continue to expand on this concept of this one household of God in the rest of the chapter. Let's finish it. Having been built, verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Okay. So now let's talk about it. So what is he saying? You Gentiles now coming into uh, the, the citizenship along with the Jews it is now one household, one household of God. And how did God, so think of it uh, in the sense of building a structure, building a house. How do you build a house? The first thing you do is you have to lay the, you prepare and lay the foundation. You prepare and lay the foundation. And how is the foundation for this new household of Jew and Gentile, the church built. It is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So therefore, what lays the foundation for the church? The apostles, the apostles, that is the 12 with the inclusive of those who have the gift of apostleship, namely with such ones like Paul, and you'll see other references to men being called apostles like Barnabas as well. And we know the apostle is anyone who saw the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. 
Hence, there are no more apostles. And also as well, note what? The, the prophets, that is New Testament prophets. He is not talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah. He is not talking about one single Old Testament prophets at all. These prophets are the New Testament prophets to the which these ones, the apostles and prophets, they give the scripture. They give the what? New Testament scripture. So what? God used the apostles and prophets to lay down the foundation of this new body. That is the church. So let me make this comment. Let me make this aside. That is why we can say firmly, number one, you cannot be an apostle unless you have seen with your eyes the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. That's why Paul said, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Christ the Lord, Jesus in resurrected form with my own eyes? So you cannot be an apostle. And also in the same sense that the prophets laid the foundation of the church. For this we say, there are no more apostles and prophets today in the church. There is no prophet, Juanita Bynum. There is no other prophet, whoever name you want to come up with. Why? The prophets laid the foundation. Once the foundation is laid, you continue on with the building of the rest of the structure. You don't keep laying foundation and keep laying and laying and laying and laying and laying. No, the foundation is laid once. And once the foundation is laid, that's it. Then you continue building the rest of the structure. Hence, there are no more apostles. So to use this particular title is an incorrect usage of the title. There are no more prophets in the church. Why? Because once the foundation is laid, you continue with the building of the rest of the structure. And that's who we are. We are the rest of the building of the house of God. We, as Paul is teaching here, we are not the foundation. The apostles and prophets were the foundation. But let's continue, because but I want y'all to get that uh, uh, really good. Why? Because you got people running around today calling themselves apostles and saying that they're apostles. And you got people running around today saying that they are prophets. The scripture says no to this. But continuing on now with the exegesis of the text. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone and the cornerstone simply is is that first stone that you lay in the foundation to the which all other stones in the foundation is connected to. So Jesus is the principle without him. You have nothing. He is the very first stone stone laid in the foundation and from him, the rest of the stones of the foundation 
apostles and prophets are laid. So therefore what? The foundation comes with apostles and prophets. Jesus is the key cornerstone by the which all these things, the house itself is built without Jesus, no house, no foundation, no nothing, but let's continue. So in him, and that's why he continued to say the whole building, that is the rest of the saints of God. We constitute the whole building as we are being fitted together all throughout the church age, all of the members, Jew and Gentile of the body of Christ fit together to make a dwelling place, a holy temple in the Lord. And notice you use the word. And when it says the holy temple of God, it uses that term not own, not own, which, which the idea now own is a term that is usually, uh, used, uh, to, to speak of the holiest of holy or the most holy place. And if you have any, an, an understanding of the tabernacle, you know, the tabernacle had the outer court. Then you had uh, the holy place, which, which con constituted of uh, the holy place and the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the ark of the covenant to the, which the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God was in the most holy place where God himself dwelled. And only the high priest was allowed to go into this place and only one time a year. It was the most sacred place of the tabernacle where the spirit of God dwelled. And this is that terminology that Paul is using concerning the church, that the church itself, the church collectively, the church, all of God's people are the literal dwelling of God's Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said again in first Corinthians chapter three, do you not know that what you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. So what is he saying that God by what Jesus has done being that cornerstone laying the foundation through the apostles and prophet, God is building up a holy temple whereby his spirit may dwell in and with his people. And he says, verse number 22, that inclusive language in whom you, you Gentiles also, not just the Jewish people alone, but also you Gentiles are being built together with the Jews into a dwelling for God by the spirit. So God by his spirit is dwelling in both Jew and Gentile as one new man, as one new house. And he did this by what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus being the principal one, the foundational one, and God working all of these things, building this house by laying the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the rest of the saints of God being the building of God's house so that God himself may dwell within you. Thus Gentiles, you, okay, let me bring this to a close. This is so late. He's close. He's close enough. So he is saying what you Gentiles, 
Give praise to God. Give thanks to God. Why? Not only for this great salvation that God has given you. That's the first part of chapter two, a salvation that you in no way merited. If you merited anything, it was the wrath of God, but instead God in his kindness, his grace, his favor, he predestined you unto a great salvation. And not only that, remember you Gentiles at one time you had no hope. You had no God, all of the blessings that the Jews once formerly enjoyed. You were alienated from these promises, but God sent his son and sending his son, Jesus to die on the cross. He tore down that wall of division, that enmity that was once between Jew and Gentile. That is the law of Moses and God created a new man. He brought you two groups together so that you might be one and enjoy the blessings of God as one new people. He brought you together as one, building you upon Christ Jesus, the apostles and prophets into one house where God himself by the spirit can dwell inside of you. Rejoice, O you Gentiles. Rejoice, even you Jewish people whom God has chosen to dwell inside of. And that's the basic end of that. So, okay, enough. Uh, thanks for joining me with all of that because I blabber on and on into eternity. But thanks for joining me with all of that. Paul's whole point, as you can see, the inference is to give thanks to God for his salvation and for all of the goodness that God has determined for his people, both Jew and Gentile. Thanks for joining me. Join me next time as we continue on in the teaching of that as Paul speaks of himself in chapter three and how he himself uh, one chosen by God to be a minister to the Gentiles, to bring to them the knowledge and understanding of all of these blessings that God has for the Gentile as a people of God. And if God has blessed your heart in these teachings and you so desire to bless this ministry, there is always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And for all who have supported, always, always thank you. All right, guys. See you next time.